how effective is a ban like this as a counterterrorism or or police measure? Well, I think that it's not just ineffective. It could have and will have, I think, perverse results. Probably the only good thing about this whole imbroglio is that it gives me a chance to come on shows like this and explain what the current refugee resettlement system is. Remember, America has the most severe and watertight refugee vetting system in the world by the blessings of geography. You can't get to America from Somalia or from Afghanistan or from Syria. It's literally watertight, salt water. Well, exactly. And it's harder to get to the U.S. as a refugee than any other route. The refugee resettlement vetting process takes 12 to 18 months on average, up to 36 months for some. It involves the CIA, 12 other departments of state, biometric testing. It's a very tough and secure process, and that probably explains why there have been no acts of domestic terrorism on U.S. soil by refugees. And I think it's very important to make that clear that the policy is founded on this myth. But secondly, and very importantly, the message that is sent by this executive order actually drags down the battle against extremism rather than helping it. Let me just explain why. There is no greater propaganda gift for ISIS and al-Qaeda than to be able to say to Muslims around the world, look, the Western world, led by the United States, are turning their backs on you. Because the battle against extremism is a battle of ideas, not just a battle of military precision weapons. And we are, the Western world faces not just organizations that are trying to do damage, but movements. And decapitating the head doesn't mean that you end the movement. And the movement has to be taken on at the level of ideas. And one of the troubles with this executive order is it sends such a debilitating message for all the words that have been spoken about American or Western commitment to an openness to all faiths and uh, creeds and colors. You focus a lot, uh, understandably, on Syria and the huge numbers of Syrians flooding in or, or aiming to flood into places in Europe, and particularly in Greece, the epicenter of the crisis. How did this executive order play abroad? Has it already engendered both fear on the one hand and potential propaganda on the other? Well, I think that it's engendered fear among refugees and horror isn't quite the right word, but um, head-shaking amongst governments and officials in advanced industrialized countries. Just to repeat, a lot of refugees have come through Greece in 2015, about um, 500,000. We've got operations there. Um, about 800,000 ended up in uh, asylum claimants, ended up in Germany and Northern Europe in 2015. There are still 45,000 people stuck in Greece in appalling circumstances where we're providing water and sanitation and other basic uh, support. So it's true that uh, amongst European governments there's been a reaction. But remember, most refugees are not in Europe or in the United States. Most refugees are in countries like Turkey, 2.7 million refugees, countries like Lebanon, 1.6 million refugees, countries like Kenya, 500 or 600,000 Somali refugees. Most of our work is actually in Africa. I mean, the the Middle East is about 25% of our work, just for the benefit of your listeners. Very important. There are 25 million refugees around the world, a world record, as well as 40 million people internally displaced by conflict. This is not people who are fleeing for economic reasons, economic immigrants, or sometimes called migrants. I don't really like the word migrants, but economic immigrants. I'm talking about 25 million refugees, 40 million internally displaced, who are homeless because of political violence, because of 
war and conflict. Of those people, the numbers more or less are that fully 40 or 50% are in Africa across 17 African countries. And that's where most of our work is. But that you have got 5 million refugees from the Syria crisis out of the 25 million. There are still probably 2 million Afghan refugees in Pakistan. So uh, this is a, a global crisis that in a more interconnected world is tumbling onto the shores of Europe. And I think that it's very, very important to recognize that if we as wealthy Western liberal democracies do not have effective humanitarian aid programs and refugee resettlement programs that address at least the symptoms of these problems, then the problems will come to us. And that's what Europeans have been dealing with. And that's another reason why they are so appalled by the example that America has set, because what this does is it empowers or supports or gives succor to some of the far-right movements in Europe. Well, that that brings me to this question. If it's grossly immoral, I mean, you wonder if Trump, President Trump, and his, what they call the his unholy trinity, the men around him, have seen the photographs of Syria or the, the effort to get into Greece. Um, if this is not an effective policy, and years ago, NSEERS also not an effective policy for catching terrorists, and it's immoral. Why? Why? What kind? I mean, do you see simple white supremacy in a policy like this? That's not where I would go immediately. I think that there is a lot of fear about what uh, terrorism means. Remember, for our parents or our grandparents' generation, uh, the chances of being killed in conflict were uh, involved. Uh, volunteering or being conscripted for armies and being caught up in a, or being participant in a conventional war. And of course, the chances of you or I being caught up in that are much diminished. We're living in a very peaceful time when it comes to the chance of wars between nations. Thankfully, there are far fewer wars between nations. One of the reasons to support the liberal international order that's been established since 1945 is that it has reduced war between nations. However, uh, civilian casualties have gone up because of global terrorism. And I think that there is um, obviously uh, an additional element that the terrorism emanates from uh, the Islamic world, or at least parts of it, and that's become part of this narrative. However, I think there's also um, a very important point that the refugee debate and the immigration debate get confused. And in my experience, uh, this happened in the UK in the 90s, it's happened in Europe over the last 10 years, when questions of immigration and questions of refugees that get confused, you end up with very bad policy outcomes. And the reason is quite important. Refugees and immigrants bring forth different value judgments because refugees, the definition of refugee is someone who has a well-founded fear of persecution. In other words, they are being forced from their homes. Someone who is an immigrant, an economic immigrant, is leaving in order to seek a better life, not to save their life. Mm -hmm. Now, I say it's not that one is good or or that the other is bad. It's that they're different. And they obviously evoke different value uh, judgments because uh, the element of need in the refugee case is different than in the immigration uh, case. And I think it's very important not to somehow establish a ranking, but to understand the difference. And what's happening, it seems to me, in the executive order and in much of the political debate is that issues of refugees and issues of immigrants are getting confused. And that I think, is at the root of some of the myth-making that's gone on around this issue. 